Welcome to the Get in the Fight podcast. My name is Nate Whitson, and I'm the founder of Get in the Fight Ministries and our exclusive online fight club for Christian men. Everything we do here is dedicated to helping Christian men become the men that God meant for them to be. So if you're looking for helpful content and conversations that can help you to grow and become the man that God made you to be, then you're in the right place. But before we get started, please do me a huge favor and be sure to subscribe, click the like button, and then leave us a five-star review. Doing that helps us to reach more men who are looking for content just like this. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our mission and how to get involved or how to join the Fight Club, then head on over to getinthefight.club. That's getinthefight.club and learn more today. But without further ado, it's time to get in the fight. So let's go. The invasion of France and the end of World War II actually began the night before the Allies hit the beaches at Normandy when the 82nd and the 101st Airborne Divisions were dropped in behind enemy lines to cut off Hitler's reinforcements. If you've seen The Longest Day or Saving Private Ryan, you remember the dangers those paratroopers were facing. Alone or in small groups, they moved through the dead of night across a country they had never been to in order to fight an enemy they couldn't see or predict. It was a moment of unparalleled bravery and cowardice. For not every trooper played the man that fateful night. Sure, they jumped, but afterward, many hid. One group took cowardice to a new level. Too many had hunkered down in hedgerows to await the dawn. A few had even gone to sleep. Private Francis Paples of the 506th saw what was perhaps the worst dereliction of duty. He had gathered a squad near Vireville. Hearing all kinds of noise and singing from a distance, he and his men sneaked up on a farmhouse. It was a mixed group from both American divisions. The paratroopers had found liquor in the cellar, and they were drunker than a bunch of hillbillies on a Saturday night wingding. Unbelievable. Unbelievable indeed. These men knew they were at war, yet they refused to act like it. They lived in a dangerous denial, a denial that not only endangered them, but countless others who depended on them to do their part. It is a perfect picture of the church in the West when it comes to spiritual warfare. That is a reading from a book called Wild at Heart, and we are finishing today in episode number 15 here a, a really deep dive into John Eldridge's just amazing book about the, the condition of a man's heart. Really a, a, a book that gave us and gives us today still such a great picture of what's happening to Christian men and, and why we are seeing such a downfall of our communities and why we're seeing our world fall apart like we are. Men, as he has described, are at war and yet we are refusing to act like it. I want to tell a story here that's very personal to me. My family and I are friends with friends from Ukraine. And we have a friend there named Vanya and Maggie, and they have a beautiful family, and we love them dearly. I remember talking to them shortly after Russia invaded their country, and to see pictures even now of them huddled with their children in a hallway as the bombs are going off, as they're hearing the sounds of war around them, and this idea of war suddenly became this reality of war. They knew that there was a chance, but there was an evening when the first bombs fell. And just to hear their story of what it's like to actually live in the midst of an ongoing war. To this day, the battle is going on around them. 
to this day they are wondering if the bridge that they cross over to get to work gets blown up what would they do if that happens to this day they have to worry about where do we go if the bombs get closer what do we do to communicate how do we respond to this do we leave again they they've told an unbelievable story and i hope to have him here in this podcast at some point maybe to share some of the story about what it's like to really be at war but they drove with all of their kids as many belongings as they could fit into one bag a person if you can even just imagine what this would be like to take all of your kids in the middle of the night and to drive where there is countless cars on the road where people are fleeing a country at war and they're traveling to an unknown land to figure out how are we going to make this work where do we go what do we do now it's just an unbelievable thing to talk to them about what exactly goes into their minds what happens as a dad when he's got to try to explain to his kids what evil actually is and how they should respond and how they do that as a christian family and just all of the intricate worries and concerns and things that go on for our friends who are living at war today they don't have the luxury of ignoring war it came to their front porch literally and now they don't have a choice but to recognize and to live as if they are at war because they are it it does make me think as john says that it's a perfect picture in this early reading of what it's like to be at war and then to be the kind of people who refuse to acknowledge it this is such a huge issue for us today we are seeing the effects of a church in the West and really just a church across the world who has been so passive, so misunderstanding of the war that's been going on that we have really lost our bearing. We've lost the battle because we are disengaged from it completely. We are, as Christian men today, I think, just completely apathetic. We are comfortable. We are distracted. And we are busy with all of the wrong things. And so in that apathy, we carry on as if everything is fine. We carry on as if the only thing really to be concerned about is whether or not the stock market dip is going to recover in such a way that we'll keep getting 10% returns 20 years from now. We worry about things that people that are at war don't worry about. When you think about what Vanya and his family worry about today, they're different things than we worry about here when we don't have bombs coming around us. But I think what John Eldridge is saying here is so critical for us today, and I hope that you'll hear this. When you ignore the enemy, he wins. And I think that's what John is trying to get us to do here, is in this early illustration of this this story of these men at war who are finding liquor, and instead of engaging the battle, they're getting drunk and wasted, and they're completely useless to the fight, we in a lot of ways have done the exact same thing here it may not necessarily be with alcohol but we are getting wasted when it comes to the war and we are refusing to act like we're even in one i want you to listen to two passages in particular from scripture that i think speak to this so clearly and speak to where we need to shift our thinking today first peter 5 8 and 9 says stay alert watch out for your great enemy the devil he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour 
Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. There's this enemy who is like a roaring lion. A roaring lion is one who's attacking and looking for some prey. He's looking for something to kill and destroy. He is on the hunt. And the the Bible describes the enemy is like that. He's prowling around. Have you ever seen those videos? Can you picture videos of a lion who is on the prowl? It's a fearful thing for sure for a weak animal in his path. And this is what he describes the devil is like for us. And he says that we better stay alert, that we better stand firm, we better watch out. And in fact, we see this in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, which is really the core passage for our ministry called get in the fight and this is a prayer that we pray through every day here in our ministry it says be alert stand firm in the faith act like men be strong do everything in love when you look at those two passages there are some very common directives aren't there be alert watch out stand firm act like a man be strong do everything in love Stand firm against the devil. Be strong in your faith. Well, you know, when we don't think we're at war, we don't put on a defensive measure against the enemy because we don't think we're really being attacked with anything. Yes, we know that the devil is real. Yes, we know that the war exists in certain places. But I think what a lot of us Christian men do is we think, well, you know, my life is really of no significance to this to the spiritual battle. Christ is one. We are going to coast to the end. And in that thinking, I think we screw up royally. We really forget or misunderstand how important every single one of us is in this battle for the hearts and lives and souls of the people that we have been placed around. You know, we are desperately needed to be involved in the lives of the people that God has placed us around. And there are people in our lives, our children maybe even, our grandchildren, co-workers, family members. We are desperately needed to be engaged in this fight because our lives eternally matter to somebody around us. And if we are just coasting through life without any concern about that thing, and we are really just concerned about filling our barns with riches, making sure that we're as comfortable as we can be, not wanting to push the boundaries at all, not wanting to stand in the gap or fight. If that is the way that we are going to go, we will someday, I think, look back. God will say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the influence that I placed there for you, even if it was just for one? What did you do for that one? Did you go to battle for me? Or did you refuse to act like you were at war. I think in thinking of this, hopefully I give us this impression that that we're missing something, that we're, we're not alert like we should be. And so I want us to be alert to four different things in particular, four different tactics of the enemy that John highlights in his book, Wild at Heart, that I think are just so practical and helpful for us. The first one is this. Whenever there's a war or a battle, the, the enemy is going to do everything he can to jam communication. And and to do that, he is going to try to disrupt the signal between the battle line and the headquarters. And the way that he does that in the spiritual realm 
the spiritual battles that we face is he will disrupt that through a lot of different means. Primarily, we've already mentioned the key causes of, I think, apathy in Christian men. Too comfortable, too distracted, and too busy. This is how he disrupts the communication. This is how he jams the communication. We get so worried about the 401k that we're really not that concerned about those things that matter most. That's the point. We're busy. We're constantly on the go. We are constantly worried about you know, getting the next thing, paying off a debt, working towards retirement, getting our kids from one thing to the next. Some of these things are not bad things in and of themselves. In fact, probably most of the things that we are doing are necessary to a degree and good to a degree. But the reality is the devil is just taking you wherever you are willing to go. And when you don't understand that you're at war, when you refuse to acknowledge it, it's really easy for him to keep you in that busy mode. It's really easy for him to keep you out of the fight when you're just overly distracted, when you're constantly on your phone and you're missing real life communication with your spouse or your children. When you're not fighting and alert, it's easy to become fearful and discouraged. And these are all the different ways that he jams communication. He keeps you from speaking with your heavenly father. He keeps you from connecting to headquarters and keeping Christ at the center of your life. So the first tactic that the enemy does that we have to be aware of is that he jams communication and he blocks you from being able to hear clearly from your king. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. And if you are, please do us a huge favor and be sure to subscribe, click the like button, and then leave us a five-star review. It only takes a few seconds to do this, but it makes a huge difference for us. And it helps us to reach more men who are looking for content just like this. Thanks so much for listening and helping us out. Now back to the show. Number two is propaganda. There was a, a movie, and I can't think of which one it is at this point, but I remember clearly, and probably it's several movies I've seen, where in the POW camps, they would have these readings over the loudspeakers that would just say, nobody's coming for you. Your country is losing. They've abandoned you. Nobody knows that you're here. And it was just this crazy, sad propaganda that was meant to demoralize and discourage the prisoners. And they knew if they could break their spirit, they could break their heart, they could break the person. And so the devil not only tries to jam communication between you and God, but he's also going to send messages to you to demoralize you. And I think this is so important. We've talked about this in previous podcast episodes about the messages and the voices that we hear and those things that have been delivered that are like arrows to your heart that over time you have been given these wounds that you've accepted from the enemy and they are just doing damage to our hearts things like you're not good enough you failed you are worthless like how dare you try to make an impact for god like we know the things that you think about i know the things that you've done like how could god forgive somebody like you how could god use somebody like you? How could God forgive somebody like you? What about the message even that, you know, if you've grown up in the faith, at some point you go, is this real? And the, and the devil gets in that message. Is this even real? Did God really say this? Can I really trust that the Bible 
is reliable and true. And so he jams communication and then he floods it with propaganda, messages that are meant to demoralize you and make you quit. The third tactic is this identity crisis. And you can really see the progression of this. Jamming communication so that you're not in communication with headquarters. You're not talking to God on a regular basis. You can't hear clearly from him what he's saying to you. You're not in his word. And so instead of filling your life with him and his message and clearly hearing from him, we get this propaganda. And as we're hearing these messages of you're worthless, how could you? Look at what you've done. Look at how filthy and dirty you are. Those are all messages against our identity. I think about even when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness and the devil says to him, if you really are God's son, if you really are, why don't you do this? You know, and it's this temptation of looking at your identity from the wrong voice, from the wrong perspective. Going back to the book, John says this, So long as a man remains no real threat to the enemy, Satan's line to him is, you're doing fine. But after you do take sides, it becomes, your heart is bad and you know it. (laughs) He's so right on. When you are distracted and busy and too comfortable to care, the devil will kind of leave you alone. He knows he can't touch your salvation but he definitely knows that you're no threat. But as soon as you come into the war and you say, whoa, 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 what's happening here? And your eyes start to become uh, awakened to the situation. When you stop refusing to act like you're at war and all of a sudden you jump into the war and you put on the weapons of warfare that God equips you with, all of a sudden you ought to expect that there are some problems going to come. And one of those is this identity crisis where the devil will get many of us men out of the fight by simply saying, I know who you are and you are dirty. I know what you've done. I know what you've looked at. I know how many times you've failed and he will remind you of your past. He will remind you of all the unforgivable, unbelievable things that you have done and he will make you think that you are unusable then in the kingdom of God. And wouldn't he love for that to be true? Wouldn't he love for that to be true? And so he will do everything he can to cause in you this identity crisis to say, are you really in Christ? How could somebody like you be used by him? The fourth thing, the fourth tactic, I guess I would say, is that the devil will look for weakness in you. I have a pond out front in my house and my daughter Andy and I will go out and we'll She likes to fish every once in a while. And so we'll put these different lures on. We're not much of a fisherman, but we will change from worms to maybe some, you know, different lures and and bait. And we'll just throw it out there and we'll move around and we will see eventually what works. And then we'll kind of like focus in on maybe it was worms, maybe it was this lure, this kind of thing. And I think the devil's a lot like that. I think he kind of goes fishing in our lives where he throws stuff out to us and he'll kind of just see, he'll just cast again and he'll cast again. And what he casts in front of us are different things. Maybe for some of us, it's laziness. And so he keeps us distracted with the phone. He keeps us busy and we just overschedule ourselves and we make sure that we get our kids to sports, but we won't make sure they get to church for some reason. 
And so he just kind of keeps us out there with, with busyness. He keeps us out there, obviously, with lust. He throws out to us food. He throws out to us pride, foolishness, you know, all of these different things, greed. And he'll just see which one you are more likely to bite on. And he'll just say, okay, let's see what they swallow. Okay, it was lust. Yeah, let's keep throwing lust. And so he's fishing for weaknesses. And when we are not alert, when we refuse to act like we're at war, guess what? We are way more vulnerable. When that lion is prowling around looking for someone to devour, is he going to find the warrior who is prepped and ready and equipped? Or is he going to find the guy that's drunk finding liquor in the cellar like this opening story talked about? We have to remember that not only is the devil using tactics like these things, identity crisis and the propaganda, jamming communication, these are all tactics that he's using, but he's also patient. He is looking for weaknesses and he'll come back to them. You know, you might defeat them on one day, but he's patient and he's going to wait. He is like a roaring lion prowling around, just waiting, ready to pounce. And he hates your guts. He hates everything about you and the king that you serve. And so as we fight, we have to, number one, be awakened to the reality that we are at war. We have to stop refusing to understand the situation that we are in. Like my friend Vanya and his family, they have no opportunity to pretend anymore that everything is safe because it's not. And so they have to go throughout their day prepared and ready. And so do we. And so, in fact, there's two things that I want us to look at really quickly here. Two things that we can do that will help us to better take on this battle that we're in. Going back to the book, John says this, In any hand-to-hand combat, there's a constant back and forth of blows, dodges, blocks, counterattacks, and so forth. That's exactly what's going on in the unseen world around us. Only it takes place initially at the level of our thoughts. When we are under attack, we've got to hang on to the truth. I'm going to say that again. When we are under attack, we've got to hang on to the truth. Dodge the blow. Block it with a stubborn refusal. Slash back with what is true. This is how Christ answered Satan. He didn't get into an argument with him. Try to reason his way out. He simply stood on the truth. He answered with scripture, and we've got to do the same. This will not be easy, especially when all hell is breaking loose around you. It will feel like holding on to a rope while you're being dragged behind a truck, like keeping your balance in a hurricane. Satan doesn't just throw a thought at us, he throws feelings too. Walk into a dark house late at night and suddenly fear sweeps over you. Or just stand in a grocery line with those tabloids shouting sex at you and suddenly a sense of corruption is yours. But this is where your strength is revealed and even increased through exercise. Stand on what is true and do not let go, period. The traitor within the castle will try to lower the drawbridge, but don't let him in. What does John say there about how to address the enemy's tactics? We know a bit now about what the devil is trying to do. We see the tactics, the propaganda, the messaging, the identity crisis, the looking for weakness. And so what do we do to fight back against that? Primarily, 
the answer is hang on to what's true. What did Jesus say was true? One of the things he tells us is that I will, I will be with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I think when he says that, it isn't just like, hey, I'm going to go away. And while you're here, just hang in there, hang in there. And then when we meet up someday again, you're going to be just fine. I think that's how we view it, but I think that's wrong. I think what he's saying is, I'm with you right now. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. I have not abandoned you. I will not leave you. I am with you in this fight. And in fact, I think we see that throughout all of Scripture. Jesus was saying even to the disciples who were like, please don't leave me. Please don't go away. What will we do without you? And he said, it's actually going to be better because the Holy Spirit will now be with you wherever you go. I think it's maybe this misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is that gives us the sense that Jesus is gone and this maybe lesser thing, this just the Spirit thing is with us. Like we just misunderstand the role of the Holy Spirit, the power of God in us. But the Holy Spirit is God himself living in us, empowering us, pointing us back to Jesus, constantly leading you back to truth. And so God did not leave us. He is with us and he is empowering us and strengthening us and he will never forsake us. And so part of understanding and hanging on to the truth is saying that God, you are not at a distance. You have not left me. You are with me. And in fact, God, I can't take this thing on, but you can. You've heard me say this before. One of the most basic prayers I've heard that is just so profoundly easy to pray. And I think honoring to God is to say, God, I can't take on this battle. I'm losing this fight. I have nothing within me, but you have everything within you to defeat this. And so God, I can't do this, but you can. And I'm praying in Jesus' name that you would. I think that prayer honors God so much because we are elevating his son and we are saying, God, I I depend on you. That is not a position of weakness of just going like, woe is me. It's saying, yes, I'm weak, but you are strong more importantly. And I think it honors God. So we have to hang on to what's true. Do you know what God says about you? There's a great passage where Jesus says, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And I think that that is a a passage that we have to really let set in to our lives because we don't know the truth because we don't read it enough. And this is where the jamming communication tactic is so strong in the devil's game. He keeps us from living a life that is connected to the headquarters. We, we are so disconnected from God because we're too busy, too distracted, and too comfortable to move and to do things that we don't want to. And what it's doing ultimately is keeping us from knowing and living out what's true. So we have to fight back against that. We have to know God's word. We have to be in churches that are teaching the truth. And there, there's so many churches today that have abandoned the power of God, the truth of scripture, and they've wandered away. And you need to be in a Bible-believing church. You need to be in a gospel-preaching church that teaches the truth and will help you to be able to stand firm in knowing who God is and the power of God to fight in your life. And so we've got to recognize that we're at war and hold on to the truth. That's how we fight back against the enemy. The second thing that we must do is we have to embrace discipline. Going back to the book one more time, John in his book says this, a warrior 
uses discipline. We have a two-dimensional version of this now, which we call quiet time or devotional time. But most men have a hard time sustaining any sort of devotional life because it has no vital connection to recovering and protecting their strength. It feels about as important as flossing. But if you saw your life as a great battle and you knew that you needed time with God for your very survival, you would do it. Maybe not perfectly. Nobody ever does, and that's not the point anyway. But you would have a reason to seek Him. We give a half-hearted attempt at the spiritual disciplines when the only reason we have is that we ought to do them. But we'll find a way to make it work when we are convinced that we're history if we don't. John makes the point that we are not engaging in disciplines because it's hard work. This goes back to that core issue, I think, in in Christian men today of dealing with apathy. We reject things that are hard. We reject things that are uncomfortable. We reject doing things like getting up earlier than you have to, to spend time with God and putting Him first, to putting on that full armor of God before you walk out the door. We resist doing the hard right thing. And so in our ministry, we have four core principles that we think through and pray through every single day. We say, God, would you make us a man like this? Make us a man of honor. Make us a man of discipline, a man of strength, and a man of joy. And then we pray through 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, do everything in love. We pray that prayer every day. In, in this particular case, the second way that we fight against the enemy's tactics is by embracing discipline. And that's partly why this is such a core component of our ministry. We are praying, God, help us to do the hard right thing over the easy wrong thing every time. And why is that so tough? Well, the reality is we don't think that reading my Bible for five minutes a day or spending time in communication with our Father is vital to us. We're so comfortable. We're so distracted. We're so busy that it doesn't feel vital. It doesn't feel like life or death. And until it does, we probably won't change that. Until we realize that we are falling apart without that connection to our Heavenly Father, we probably won't get very good at the disciplines. And so for us, it is a daily prayer. It's this daily download where we are saying, God, help us to be like that. Help us to be men who embrace discipline physically. Help us to be men who embrace it with food. Help us to embrace it with exercise, with self-control, all of these disciplines, right? Like when you're scrolling through something and there's a lady shaking her butt in front of you on Instagram, do you click it, click on it to see it and you know delve even further into that rabbit hole? Or do you have enough discipline in that area of your life to turn it, to move away? Are you able to go down the road and uh, same thing, see you know, a beautiful woman and do you just gawk and stare and, and imagine what it's like to be with her? Or do you have the discipline to do the hard right thing and move away from that image and move your mind away from that stuff? Do you have the discipline when it comes to food to be able to say, that's all I need. I don't need more than that. I don't need to eat till I'm full. I don't need to drink that thing, even if it's just a Mountain Dew, right? Like whatever the thing is, do you find discipline to do the hard right things or do you find yourself falling away from them? And in fact, I would say this and 
tell you that if you want to get better at spiritual disciplines, start with physical disciplines first. Start exercising. Start waking up early. Start drinking more water. So all of those things don't have much or any effect on your spiritual life, you would think. But my argument is that when I can get strong and do the hard right things physically, like waking up early, saying no to food, saying yes to the gym when I don't feel like it, that propels me and gives me momentum spiritually to say yes to the right things in the spiritual world and no to the wrong things that are spiritually hurting me as well. Discipline begets discipline. You get more of whatever you feed yourself. And so you, your appetite for those things grows. So if you want to find freedom in your life and you want to start living the life that God has designed for you to live, then embracing discipline as core to your life can help you to fight back against the tactics of the enemy who is trying to destroy you and keep you out of the battle. Last week, as we wrap up today, we had read Revelations 12, 7. We talked about how the dragon is taking out his anger on the world. He knows his time is limited. And so those who are devoted to the king and to Jesus, his son, he is taking his anger out on us. If we refuse to open our eyes to the reality of this war that is going on, we will continue to suffer, but not just us. And this is what I want you to hear. When men are out of the battle, when men are not fighting for the king, women and children and families suffer. And this is what we're seeing happen. And we know it. We know it. The problem is we're tempted to think, who am I? I'm just Nate Witz. And trust me, I've, I battle this. Why in the world do I podcast? Like, wh who cares what I say, <laughs> right? I, I think there's some truth to it, right? Like, who are we to think that anybody should listen to us? This is simply an attempt for me to use my voice in, in hopes that maybe it encourages you to use yours too. If collectively, all of us nobodies started to stand up and fight, it would have an effect, and that's the hope of this. And in fact, there is a movement happening throughout the world that you will not see in regular news headlines, but I can promise you it's happening. I see things like a men's alliance, a men's tribe, men's fighting groups, a, a renewed promise keepers, on and on. I mean, I could tell you, like, name after name, of these men's groups like ours, like Get in the Fight, that is happening all over the world. Men are being awakened. This is something that God is doing. I don't know for sure if this is the end times. I hear a lot of people speak pretty clearly on that and very much believe it. In fact, some of you are going, no, it is the end times. Maybe so. I kind of hope so. <laughs> I'm ready for this world to be done and to see the King. I can't wait to hug Jesus himself and just say thank you and I hope I get to spend some time with him. But until that day, until that day comes, until our faith is made visible, we are having to realize that we are at war. We have to stop refusing to engage the battle. We have got to stop saying that I'm a nobody in this thing. Fine, you are. But God can use the nobodies like Nate Whitson and you. God, in fact, throughout history, has used those who were nothing to do something. This isn't about us. This isn't about any ministry being known. This is about advancing the kingdom of God 
And the way he does that is through his people. He has already won the war, but the battle still rages. And so if we are at war, we have to be alert. We have to go back to those passages in 1 Peter and in 1 Corinthians. They're always saying the same thing. Peter and Paul were saying the same thing. Be alert. Watch out. Pay attention. Open your eyes. Jesus was saying, watch. You don't know when the end is coming. You don't know what's in front of you. You don't know what you're dealing with. And so we have to be alert. We have to understand the tactics of the enemy. Those four things, jams communication, right? He, he's doing all those things that we talked about. He's going to attack your identity. He's going to fish for weaknesses. He's going to disrupt and demoralize and do all of those things. You have to know how he operates because it's only then that you will realize that I have to fight back through connection to my king. I have to fight back every day in these disciplines and do hard right things. I've got to hang on to what's true. I've got to act like a man. I've got to be strong and I've got to fight. And this is how we do it. This is how we fight. We have to know the enemy, but we've got to hang on to what's true and have the discipline that it requires to fight and to win and to live the kind of life that God died for us to live. Hey guys, thanks so much for being here today and listening to the show. Please be sure to head over to the website at getinthefight.club and before you go, if you haven't already, please subscribe, click the like button, and leave us a positive five-star review. It makes a huge difference whenever you do. Have a great day. Go get in the fight.